The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman, Matt Goodwin, and I am joined, as always, by your fake baseball economist, Alexander Chase. On this episode, we talk a whole lot about rookies, rookie performance, rookie F-war, rookie buy-sell, and rookies, rookies, rookies. But before we get to all of that, Alexander, how you doing? I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself, Matt? Ah, hanging in there. The uh, the school year ended this week, so uh, I am officially on summer vacation, which when you have three little kids might mean something slightly different than when you don't. But uh, at, at the very least, I have a nice reset button, clean slate, uh, and a chance to decompress from the end of the school year. That means something different for you, though, right? That means a, a complete change in your schedule. Yeah, yeah, I have a class starting up pretty soon that I'll be teaching. And uh, it's actually interesting. I get to talk about all these to all these kids like, is summer vacation fun for you for them? And some are like, yeah, I'm so happy to not be in school anymore. And others are like, actually, my parents have signed me up for so many camps that I'm overwhelmed and this seems worse. So Mm, uh, it's fun to hear from both ends of that. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on parents uh, I'm not sure because I don't really give into it, but I think there is a lot of pressure on that. My kids are young. It's easy for me to not give into it. Um, but I think there is a lot of pressure on parents to get their kids involved in all sorts of things. You know, they go mm-hmm. to to socialize and what your kids not in 73 camps over the course of the summer. What's wrong with you? You're not giving them enough exposure. Meanwhile, we wonder why kids are loaded up with anxiety and, and uh, you know, can't can't uh, figure their way out of a out of a problem. There's just there's so much going on, so much to do. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, I'm not trying to, to, to parent shame anybody. Anybody who's doing what they think is in the best interest of their kid, uh, your heart's in the right place. I got you. I understand. Sometimes we, we do what we think is best and it doesn't work out that way. So that's not a criticism of parents who are, are overscheduling their kids. It's just a, oh, yeah. Yeah. it's just a notice. I notice thing. Uh, and then there's me who probably way under schedules his kids and they should probably be doing more. <laughs> uh, so uh, believe me, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, uh, disparage anybody. So, uh, it, but it, summertime at the very least, it's, it's an, a nice opportunity for me to be able to, most people don't get this right. The, the opportunity to like just disconnect from work, whether it's, 
mm-hmm. whether like going to work during the day and coming home and dealing with your kids versus dealing with your kids all day long. We, we don't have to split hairs on which is more difficult. Um, it's definitely nice to have one less layer of things to have to, to think about every single day and uh, mm-hmm. more of an opportunity to get out on the golf course. So, so there's that. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to have the golf discussion again or anything like that, no. but I know what you mean. Um, I, I've talked to a handful of the parents who are like getting them, their kids set up or, you know, I feel like 17 ish year old kids, you can be like, you know, is it because they want to get you out of the house or is it because mm. they're trying to like sign you up for stuff? Cause they think you're going to love it. And for the most part, you know, little from column be, a little from column B. <laughs> I feel like there's a healthy amount of both that I want yes. for everyone. You know, if, if your parents aren't trying to get you out of the house when you're 17 years old, something, something up is definitely up. Right. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I listen, every, every situation is, is different, but 17 year olds should be like thinking about how active they want to be in, in certain things for their college applications and essays and making themselves more interesting and more worldly, I suppose. And if a byproduct of that is that mom and dad get a little bit more time to not have to deal with teenager ish stuff, then, you know, so be it. I think, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, um, years away from the teenager thing, but I teach teenagers. And so mm, I, yeah. uh, I'm concerned for that window of my life where I'm with kids who are adolescents all day and then come home to adolescent kids. Uh, at the very least now they're like different, different, uh, spheres of development. So you can kind of shift <laughs> gears a little bit, uh, when it's all just one big mass of, uh, 12 to 13 year old. I, I don't know. Things uh, things might be be a little more stressful, but for now, we're going to enjoy that it is summer vacation, and my kids are small and still, still, uh, you know, eh, fairly compliant, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, take what you can get. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. All right, maybe we should talk some baseball. You think that that might be why people tuned in? Uh, I I don't know. I will. At this point, I they probably don't. <laughs> they know the first five <laughs> minutes is not going to be about baseball. Um. All right, we're going to try and focus throughout this episode on kind of the rookies, the youngsters, um, recent call-ups, um, and and try and make some sense of all of that. So to warm up, this is our new segment we're calling it, warm the warm-up. Um, let's talk about a couple of people here. You want to talk specifically about O'Neill Cruz. Is that is that right? Or is there anybody else in this bucket that you kind of helps to illustrate your point? You know, Riley Green did just get called up and I'm sure he's going to stick the extenuating circumstances with him being like injured and then rehabbed and then right back up and us lacking some data and also some lacking. I don't know. You want to call it like baseball politics data. Do you want to call whatever you wanted to talk about with the the call up delays? He doesn't really fit in. Uh, So he's kind of like there, but he's not there for what we, I mean, obviously want to talk about the someone like uh, O'Neill Cruz is a centerpiece of a show's discussion for a reason these days. He's really good and he has been really good. Um, Mm -hmm. So like Riley Green obviously wasn't very good at baseball in uh, late April because, you know, you need feet for that. So I don't know that there are any other obvious names. Okay. Well, then let's jump in with O'Neill Cruz and talk about what, what's, what's the deal with O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. I I mean, (laughs) I wanted to start in a weird place with this. Um, Well, good, because I just started with a weird voice. So, you know, there's that. (laughs) 
um, yeah, I, I really fitting there. Uh, so uh, Rob Rob Silver uh, actually pulled up a really interesting kind of like sort of data point, uh, which I didn't like realize it was as interesting as it was at first. Um, he was comparing the like WRC plus projections from the bat and from steamer for uh, Cruz, which were way, way, way off from each other. Uh, mm-hmm. He's in about 125 from steamer and I think 91 from the bat, which that's, that's a lot. We've talked preseason a bit about how the bat is, um, you know, really, really not that into prospects and how steamer can be really, really into prospects. So it's mm-hmm. it's a big gap, and it's, it's kind of funny. And it's up, also like, across going, an important line, right? What do you mean I by mean, that exactly? So we're we're talking about a hundred, right? Isn't am I am I misinterpreting what you're talking about? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's what WRC plus, right? So yeah, twenty five percent better than league average versus nine percent worse is a big big gap. Right, right, right. So it's not just that's. I guess that was my point. Sorry if I was being okay, unclear, yeah. but like it's like thirty points, but it's not like one fifty to one twenty where he's still going to be better than average. It's the difference between being like decently better than average or worse than average that's that's like uh, to me that's an important 30 point uh range there right and and i think that was a big part of rob silver's point that he made where he and i don't think he was really saying that he believed this but at least kind of like saying it out loud because it was a, a, a within the statistical realm of possibility that the pirates saw o'neill cruz as maybe more the person that the bat thought he was um, and I thought that was kind of funny as a, as a thing to say, um, <laughs> he was, he was doing that on purpose, obviously. Yeah. Um, but my gut reaction was like, is, is that bad by the bat standards for rookies? And it led me down this like small rabbit hole of like looking up a bunch of different top prospects like steamer and also bat projections preseason to kind of see where a bunch of people fell. And like that 30 ish. 35 ish point gap was considerably bigger than a lot of the other uh, prospects that we were uh, potentially hoping to be good fantasy contributors and also real life baseball contributors this year. The only other player who was like in that same stratosphere was like Seiya Suzuki, who was projected for like a 140 by Steamer uh, and like 110 ish by the bat, which like, you know, pretty big. So um, it, it was definitely the case then that. Uh, you know, like if 20 was about average, this was a person that there was like room for more disagreement on, but also we all kind of expect him to be really good. And I thought it was kind of funny lead into like, we actually haven't seen him at the big league level this year. Is it possible that he could, you know, like fail to impress and he came up? So with that said, <laughs> plenty you, of, you have three have. Games. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, right. I think we've seen a, a, a large uptick in the last couple of years of these can't miss blue chippers coming up and just not being great, not only right away, but over extended periods of time, names that we've said a hundred times, Kelnick and Kirillov, um, people in that, in that realm, even, uh, I think we'll get to Torkelson later, but, um, maybe our expectations of immediate impact have been so skewed by the Juan Soto's of the world that we expect everybody to be able to just come up and be amazing and stay amazing. And look at Cody Bellinger. He came up, he was really good. He had a tough year. He was amazing. Uh, in it was a year three, I think. Right. And ever since then he's been, who is Cody Bellinger? So, uh, we know that baseball is really, really hard. 
We know that everybody who gets to the major league level is really, really good at the game. And so the margins of difference between those who are excellent and those who are just not, especially early in their careers, can be fairly razor thin until they get their feet mm-hmm. underneath them and get the opportunity to get the at-bats. And you know, then other teams are going to get the book and, and get more of that data that's readily available at the major league level. And then can the player adjust? There's so many things that go on. My, I guess my first curiosity, and you can either answer this or you can punt it uh, to later because if it, I don't want it to uh, interfere with any of what you're going to say, is what is it about Cruz's game and Suzuki's game that might be leading these algorithms to have vastly different outputs? That's, that's my curiosity. What is the input that is so different that the output is so different or are the inputs similar, but the weights are vastly different inside those algorithms is speed overvalued or undervalued in one system versus the next. Um, What could possibly cause these two systems because they're not universally that far apart on players, right? That's the point. And so they are, and they aren't. Yeah. Um, they have, I know that they have discrepancies, right? But your, mm-hmm, to your mm-hmm. point, these 30 point swings are more the extreme. So what is it about these players that, that is causing that? Or is it just dumb coincidence that it happens to be these two guys? That, that's my first curiosity. I don't even know if mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. even posited an answer, but. Yeah, that's actually something that we probably can answer pretty easily. The bat just kind of assumes that there's going to be a rougher transition. Like it's an across the board rookies are not projected well by the bat and so it's an in, ten- the input guess is lower right guess right right is, that is like i don't mean guess in. is like a is like a, a negative i'm not i'm not um knocking it I, it's an they're all educated guesses it's a hard thing to do i i get that but so it's an input thing yeah yeah it's the way it's built it's doing its job as intended now if you're wondering why those guys are the most extreme like i looked I pulled up the tweet that I did from the other day so uh, I can like see my own data. I just want to be clear about where this is. Uh, Torkelson was projected for 125 slash 99. That's like a 25 point gap. Uh, Julio Rodriguez was only 15 points apart, 123 versus 108. Uh, Stephen Kwan, 117, 96, about 20. Juan Yepes, 116, 95. So that's about 20. Adley Rutschman is 109, 94. So that's about 15. And then Riley Green, 10787 so about 20 a lot of guys across that 100 marker so it, it i mean the bat really kind of expects rookies it seems to not be as good as replacement right in their first years in their debut seasons that's not replacement i should remind you that's league average so like replacement is going to be somewhere in like the 60s, 70s, 80s, like 60s, 70s range, I think. Like they are worse than league average. Okay. All right. Uh, so I'm, yeah. yeah, I said that wrong. And and for fantasy purposes, though, that you're also not rostering a lot of those guys at the low end, too. So that that makes a difference. But either way, it does it does seem as though the bat is expecting rookies to be below average. I'll say it that that's a more accurate way of saying it, right? Yeah, and I actually want to say for fantasy purposes, like in 12s and 15s, uh, replacement level might be about right, steals depending and stuff like that. A lot of guys who are on the wire are going to have WRC plus in the 90s in a 12 or 15 format, or a 12 format, I should say. So you're not off. 
Yeah, I'm just saying that it's different. Looking at league average versus replacement level versus fantasy replacement level are are not necessarily all the same thing. Um, So anyway, I totally derailed where you were going with this, with O'Neill Cruz and and then my silly question. Um, So I, I... the the reason we talk about this, I guess, is to talk about what is it with the the rookies over the last couple of years that may have been contributing factors to uh, maybe what we could posit uh, is delayed development. Um, and so, like the first question you have here is what what elements of the pandemic maybe have impacted uh, what's gone on? So maybe elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah. So. I feel like I've heard from a few people a sort of like rookie development hypothesis. Uh, a guy on a team that you might occasionally watch, I guess, uh, Cheer Downs is a guy who comes to mind for yeah. me for this. Uh, and not in a good way. I'm kind of like sad to see him as someone who is like a really good in a lot of people's out of the park simulations, but not necessarily trending towards good things in real life. He's like like headed into his second consecutive season being below the Mendoza line in the minor leagues. Um, that's not something you'd want to be the case for like the blue chip guy that you uh, got no. back for a rookie. And, and I don't think that there's any amount of like, you know, blame you want to head his way. It sounds like things are rough as a minor leaguer these days. And that's, I mean, like blame if you want, but like the, probably a bad person. Um, and that's kind of like the, the thing that we're putting forward is this hypothesis that the 2020 season being just a wreck Um, And then, you know, what was kind of like a chaotic, I think, minor league season last year. And then let's also just throw in like the maybe chaos of like offseason instruction for people who were on the 40 man, especially like Jeter Downs, uh, really just kind of contributed to an environment where like consistent opportunities to play, consistent interactions with coaches, all of the things that you would want in like a coherent system of like prospect growth haven't necessarily been in place. Now, I'm not like a scout person, obviously, but the whole point of today's show then is to look at how the data we have available to us on like the major league level is kind of bearing out, which, you know, finally gives me a chance to care about things properly. And um, the idea there isn't that hard to try to track, except for this kind of other thing that we mentioned, which is the new CBA has kind of given different um I don't know, like incentives to play rookies necessarily than in past years and especially compared to like 2019. Um, So, you know, if if you like throw all these eggs together, you get last year, everyone like being kind of like delayed. But also last year, if you were close to the top, there are probably gonna be a bunch of rookies that should have been in 2020 who like didn't get an opportunity to. So we get like a way bigger rookie class. Um. We'll get into that a little bit later, especially on the pitching side. So we kind of get this weird stew of it's hard to consistently measure whether this year's rookies are better or worse because everything's just kind of blown up. Um, but on individual cases, you can see where some of these things might play out. So it's, it's very much like a curiosity thing that it's hard to tackle that I think it's worth our time to try to tackle because these are some of the most compelling stories. Like is the guy that you're, hoping becomes the centerpiece of your team going to be able to pan out and has he had the opportunity to yeah i think those are huge questions especially if people have just recently picked them up or have been holding on to them this whole time depending upon your format and 
bench depth and, and all of that, uh, waiting for this moment to arrive where they come up and hopefully have an impact on, on your team. Um, I would like to just take a moment to pay homage to the fact that um, you you say uh, Mr. Betts' first name as if it rhymes with Wookiee, like from Star Wars. Mookie, Mookie Betts. Is that mm-hmm. is that how he says it? Have I missed this this whole time? Am I wrong? I, I don't know. It's I entirely it possible Mookie. that I'm the one who's wrong. I, you know, but then, well, then um, to be fair to you, though, then I'm looking at the word rookie, which we say like Wookie. Oh yeah, I'm. The English language is baffling. It's it's impossible. It's it's very very difficult. Anyway, again, not what people <laughs> have tuned in to listen to, but um, <laughs> worth our while though. <laughs> we we want to take a look now moving on from the conversation of um O'Neill Cruz specifically as like our warm up and and for our numbers of the week segment look at some actual rookie data broken down by both hitter and pitcher um but before we get into all that juicy awesome data analysis goodness we are going to take a very small break Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, Alexander, we are back. So what is it that we need to be thinking about data-wise around these uh, these hitters, these pitch rookie pitchers, and what's the context that makes it all make sense? So the number this week that I really want to take a look at was the like two-date FWAR for our rookie and our rookie pitchers and hitters. Uh I think it paints an interesting picture better than just WRC plus, which is a a number we're also going to take a look at today um, to kind of like try to answer whether or not um, the past couple of years of prospect development have like messed with some people in some interesting ways um, before we end up kind of like taking stock on like a more grand granular level. So we are not quite halfway, but rapidly approaching the halfway point. um, And, Oh my goodness. My search here is just going to fight with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's exactly yeah, what you absolutely. want while you're in the middle of a, a thought. Yeah. Yeah. No, train of thought derailed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to start with like a thing that happened last year on, on the pitching side. Uh, so if you're like, go back to, I'm going to just set arbitrarily the year 2000. I'm sure the nineties, eighties and all of the other time before that we have nice data for, um, are really interesting, but I feel like it's worth talking about, you know, in a more modern, like, aging curve world and also in a modern financial world where people kind of get pushed back more and maybe you're debuting better which is like a force that we have to kind of like in the longer term longer term than just like the last three years think about happening so last year rookie pitchers pitched 
for the first time in this millennium, um, over 10,000 innings. Um, they actually hit 12,000. Like they blew wow. out of the water some of the previous marks. Now they hit like 9,600 innings in 2019, 9,700 innings in 2009. You know, they've been close to that mark, but they went more than 25% beyond what had been the top number of innings pitched. So the total accumulated F4 for like rookie pitchers last year was 62 wins. To date, we are at 10.7. Um, rookie pitchers have you know, despite the way that like the ball has changed and the game has changed, not seen as big of an ERA drop as the rest of the league. They just generally haven't been as good on the whole, right? There hasn't been those top end stars that really push these totals. It's been a lot of just replacement and level stuff. And that's even considering last year that, you know, a lot of rookies that were being called up were just like, our starters can't go 200 innings this year we got to get someone to fill and you would think that a lot of those unprepared never seen the majors before just had a year where they maybe didn't pitch against like actual real competition would have come in and been a disaster and yet like 62 wins is the most for a pitching class since 2012 um, okay, can we can we back up and break that down just a little bit so right. uh and we can also test to see how much i remember about oh, how all of these things work as well. So last year, there's a good chance that we probably had a bigger rookie class because the pre- year previous, there were less pitchers who were able to debut, right? Because Check. of the shortened season. So we can expect there to be a larger number of pitchers, uh, rookie right. pitchers who debuted. So uh, is F, F4 is an accumulated stat, correct? Right. Okay. So it, <laughs> it's not inconceivable then help me if I'm wrong, if I'm on the wrong path here, you're, that the number the right of, way. if the number of pitchers that are rookies increases by mm-hmm. 15%, let's say whatever it was, I'm going to go with 25, 25%. Okay, let's say 25%. Then an increase of accumulated F war amongst rookie pitchers, quote unquote, as a mm-hmm. category should also increase at least in a similar fashion, maybe not like completely linearly, but like a 20% increase in, in F war accumulation doesn't sound like it would be ridiculous. Right. So I want to give you the case against that thought. And then I'm going to give you reality. My thought is if you're just going to add in a bunch of extra guys, you're not going to be adding in a bunch of extra good guys. I imagine it's going to be a lot more filler, a lot more of like the quad a types. uh, If you've had, if you've had two years worth of good pitchers not be able to make their debut, then maybe they are just as good. Uh, that would make sense. Now, here's the thing. It wasn't a 25% increase in wins. It was almost like, I'm going to call it like 30 to 40% more than so many of the previous years. So they seemed like they were pretty good by many metrics. Now, one of the things we have to kind of answer that question and why I thought this was kind of a fun exercise beyond just the answer questions about your team way is, uh, you know, I'm doing this all in fan graphs because I, I like F war more than B war, but also because I just kind of like the ways that you can break down some splits and stuff like that. This is a great opportunity to use their um, like plus stats button. So you get like ERA plus or ERA minus as a concept here. And last year's rookie pitchers, we're going to talk about this year shortly. Um, we're like, pretty good by those measures in a lot of ways their command was better if you're looking at walks per nine plus or walk walk percent plus they're more like the 110 mark which is like 10 11 percent more walks 
per walk walk rate, like that, just a little bit more than average. Whereas typically they're in like the twenties range, so their walk numbers are better. Um, overall, like the ERA minus for the cohort was a one hundred eight, which was the best in a handful of years. Back to two. Hold on a second. I got to make sure I, I have this sorted sorted correctly. Um, yeah, yeah. So that was yeah. I got the wrong number for ER, for ERA plus, minus. There were they were about the same actually. I had I had it like sorted a bit, but they were like they added all that extra volume and they were about as good ERA was. Okay, so yeah, you, you I think then you would say that your hypothesis that um they were able to backfill with about like an equally talented sort of like number of people because of the pandemic would play out. They just happen to be better at not walking people as well. Well, here's the other interesting the other thing too, and I'm this is just completely hypothesizing, like you said. Right. But Last science. year there were also I I think anecdotally. Um, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the data says I'm way off, but a lot, a lot more opportunities for middle relief pitchers to earn the win, right? And my and go in and and have like positive stat outcomes because starting pitchers weren't going as long or as deep into games. All of those kinds of things. Does would any of that play into a, a, a like an F or a outcome? I would think that the most likely way that shows up is like if they're getting deployed less as just go earn me a bunch of innings, but we get a lot more like reliefish appearances. You know, pitchers are a little bit better in relief. Maybe that could have buoyed some of it as well. We just get like more two inning outings where people could be like their best version of theirself. And and I think I think that might be part and of get the a two a two inning win right as a stat in their stat line because they come in after the starter went three or four. Um, Ooh, you know what? I don't I know. I haven't even I, thought about like actual real wins versus like war wins, right? But, but that factors um, in, doesn't it? I don't think it does. No, because it's because no? F war is basically just FIP. Um, okay, it's just like FIP extrapolated out until like how many innings you pitched and like what league average is. Okay. That said, so that's, I'm that's looking a good at, distinct, like, distinction. I don't mind being wildly wrong about thinking that that like your your level of success is factored into that because I think it's an important distinction for people to understand what's actually feeding that number. Um, Hilariously to though, understand the discrepancies. They came within two games of having a winning record, which would they have rookie pitchers have not had an overall winning record since or ever. Maybe I'm going to like scroll through here with my eyes and see if I can <laughs> catch ever. one. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not in the past 20 years. It doesn't look like they have. No. Oh, 2020. I guess which doesn't count. Yeah, um, that's yeah, that's tough. So that's um, the yeah, only so, I mean, other year. There's a lot of interesting things. So I guess I guess the overall point is not necessarily to be in the weeds with specifically like let's explain how many more wins they got, either real life wins or F four win values. More to say that there there seems to be a a lot more variables introduced into trying to understand what happened last year because of. Uh, delayed development um, because of uh, an extra year of having to wait. Maybe you have extra uh, talent that comes in in a single year because it didn't have a chance to come in the year prior. It just, mm-hmm. just as examples, I'm sure there are many more elements at play there that, that could be affecting that. And on the other side too, I mean, were hitters properly ramped up early on? Did they mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. a little bit of fatigue as the year went on because of, of how 2020 shaped up. Um, I don't know. There's just seems, and then on top of all of that, right. Is the human element that 
that we have right, such a hard right. time trying to, to quantify. So I don't know. This is, this is absolutely fascinating for me because I, I like the idea of like trying to figure out both through the numbers and the narratives what really went on. But in reality, it wasn't just any one thing going on. It was a whole lot of things happening at once. And and how much of that can we really peel back? How many layers of that onion can we really peel back? And the answer mm-hmm. is some, mm-hmm. pro- probably not all. Right. And I think this is where it kind of gets important to get to the granular level for like the, this year's rookie crop. One of the things that kind of stands out on the pitching side, and, and you know, I don't always think of pitchers first, but I think it, this was like the place where like the numbers kind of like uh, made me think first is that we haven't really had a dominant rookie pitcher by a war standpoint. Now we've had some people who look really good and I think you can push back to a degree. Like uh, Mackenzie Gore has been pretty good for a few moments. Spencer Strider looks credible, right? But like they haven't accumulated that many wins so far, or maybe like wins, not in terms of like W's for your fantasy team, but like wins worth of value. Uh, I think our, right now I got to pull this one more time again and keep doing a poor job of that. Um, we're sitting at about like 1.2 is the top end of that um, for pitchers. Oh, I can see how I can do that faster. Um, yeah, we're looking at 1.2 for both Strider and Gore. Uh, and Joe Ryan is the only other pitcher with one win of value so far. Overall among pitchers, the best in terms of FWAR are sitting at about 3.3 for Kevin Gossman. Um, basically, we don't have a rookie pitcher within the top uh, 35 of uh, of FWAR so far this year, which definitely is kind of unusual. You know, we've had people come up and be really excellent. And Alec Manoa was definitely one of the best pitchers right from the jump last year and like ended up very high on a lot of these lists. It wouldn't surprise me if someone makes his debut and sneaks into the top 35 at the end of the season. But yeah, it's, it's, it's quite unusual in that regard. Um, and that's kind of like the thing that I want to think about as like a, as a thing, when we think about our, uh, like opinions of the class as a whole opinions of the year and what it's done for rookies. We're not going to think about this like large sample size. Here's what the average is sort of way we're going to remember the top end guys and think about where they fell historically. And then maybe a little bit more of the depth, but this is the sort of thing that I think is, is interesting. Uh, is that, you know, where are they? Are they sitting in the minors for some more seasoning? Cause their development was delayed or did they come up last year? And I think the answer is yes. And that's kind of just two reasons why Spencer Strider and Mackenzie core, are like the only people we're really seeing so far. Yeah. I mean, opportunity is huge and there's an entire other element. I think you kind of hinted at it, but during the, the COVID year, um, they, they were like, they weren't playing games, right? I mean, they were like in facilities doing, it wasn't anywhere near their regular routine. And Mm -hmm. then also the beginning of this year, right? The, during the lockout and the off season, they weren't allowed in facilities, correct right some of them were uh, i guess who weren't on the 40 man were like able to do some of that stuff but a lot of those people haven't been called up right so we're if you're looking at the people who usually come up in our impact they're generally on the 40 man right Mm -hmm. Uh, um not a hard and fast rule but it's it it's just less likely that they would get called up like early on right because then you would need to dfa someone um to make space on the 40 man or move someone to the to the 60 day il and you know like there's some simple ways for that to like happen but it's just 
less well, what likely I guess to what I'm getting quickly. at is a lot of those guys who are just just about to make debuts are probably already on that that roster, right? Right. If, right. If you're not, then you're you're vulnerable. So I, I they were mm-hmm. O'Neill Cruz was probably not able to do his his off season regimen with the team, right? Um, well, yeah, he was. We yeah, he was uh, he was called up last year, so he's been on the forty man. Right. That's so. That's that's kind of what I'm. I, it, normally, we're looking at people who have had three to five years of very normal development from draft to debut. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a group of players who have been impacted twice in very significant ways. I know that the lockout wasn't super long, but it was at a very pivotal point. And when you're talking about guys who have been veterans and played for a bunch of years, they could probably approximate what they would normally do or find a facility where they could, you know, go through their motions. These, these mm-hmm. kids are, mm-hmm. are, are still learning what all that's about. So right. um, there's a lot of, of opportunity here in the last three years for, for those players to have gotten so, somewhat the short end of the stick on, on all of these things. And that compounds. So I think, I, I think it's fair to say that even coming up and being impactful for this year uh, for a lot of these guys is, is a big deal in, in right, terms right. of actual baseball for your fantasy team. That's frustrating. Totally. If you invested a lot in O'Neill Cruz on draft day and expected him to be up and stay up and, um, you know, play a lot for not a great team and, and, um, you know, hit the ball really, really hard and steal a bunch of bases, then you're frustrated for sure. You're frustrated, <laughs> especially if you've held on to him. Um, yeah. But in terms of expectations for what this year could, could bring, there's still a lot of season left to play. There's a chance that O'Neill Cruz at the end of this year is going to be, uh, have uh, accumulated a, an amazing stat line in a prorated sense, right? Um, oh, yeah. But I think that our expectations of these kids coming up, having dealt with what they've dealt with in multiple mm-hmm. ways, uh, on top of then being rookies, which is difficult in its own way, um, mm-hmm. maybe we were expecting too much. <laughs> uh, and maybe we do that often again because a handful of guys have have shown that it's possible to come up and be immediately amazing we all expect all of them to come up and be immediately amazing and baseball's hard yeah i think another part of this is also that you mentioned him earlier with an intention to get back to him you know the top end names of the class are like torkelson with julio rodriguez two of those have hit and Spencer Torkelson is the other one. And yeah. you know, Ad- Adley Rutschman hasn't been great so far, but people just ignore catchers. So I'm going to ignore catchers, even though that's not quite fair to him. Um, I think Julio Rodriguez and Spencer Torkelson are kind of like the two sides of the same coin uh, in terms of like how the past couple of years have caused havoc. Um, we, I think, kind of knew that Rodriguez was going to be kind of fast. I think we've mentioned this before. Him being on essentially a 50 steal pace this year is nuts. Um, and then Spencer Turkelson is on a 10 home run pace this year. <laughs> like that's nuts as well. Um, and I kind of want to take a, a closer look at like some of the things that make prospects a little bit more unpredictable. You actually called this really called attention to this earlier. And then I kind of let it slide till night. Like the, why is O'Neill Cruz um, like 
hard to pin down for these projection systems? Why was, say, a Suzuki hard to pin down for some of these projection systems? Um, it's kind of like a separate question, but I want to make sure I answer it too. Like, what makes these guys easier to put within a band versus harder is, is a really uh, interesting question. And one of the things I want to call attention to then is basically like how you strike out um, as a concept. Um, Torkelson has so far this year a 25% strikeout rate. Um, he has been walking a fair amount of time. He's like roughly 11%. Um, but like that hasn't been quite good enough, right? In the past, he's been like pretty excellent by some of those metrics. Um, you know, he's been like a really, really excellent um, walker. Essentially. I, I love using the word walk as like a, as like a verb in the baseball sense because it feels so <laughs> odd, right? It, it's really funny to me. Uh, but yeah, like last year in the minors across three teams, he, let's see, Oh, I'm pulling it. And so I, I can't, this is harder for me to see. Yeah. He struck 114 times and walked 77 times. That's a pretty good ratio. 114 strikeouts over 500 PAs is like, right, mm, like, yeah, just a little bit more than 20 something percent. I could be looking this up much more easily than I am. Uh, and so that's gone up. Um, one of the things that typically these systems kind of struggle with and, and torque wasn't a guy that struggled with as much in this way. He's just been unable to hit the ball hard is the more your swinging strike rate is high. For O'Neill Cruz, he's six seven. He's got a ton of power, but those long levers, as they like to say, are hard to control, and you're going to strike out some. Even Aaron Judge, who's extremely good, is going to strike out at a fair clip. Um, I think he's just like probably about the best you can be at not striking out for being a behemoth, behemoth of a being. So, like, <laughs> that's a reason why you'd expect some of these systems to struggle with people. Um, we have a hard time paying down like the Nolan Gormans of the world. Cause like he strikes out a fair bit, you know, I think Jesus Sanchez was a guy that we're a little bit worried about in this regard. And that's going to cause uncertainty. Um, you're not always sure how that's going to kind of flow across. Um, interestingly, a name that I, I don't think I pulled earlier is Alec Thomas. Um, and there's an interesting, um, article or interview he gave earlier this year about like how people were attacking him on the major league levels in ways that pitchers in the minors weren't attacking him and like they weren't just going after his perceived weaknesses they were almost creating new ones just by going after things he wasn't expecting mm. um you know thomas has been pretty good this year he's adapted reasonably well and that's taken some time but he's kind of found what he's looking for and he's on like a basically like 2015 fantasy pace uh like like if you prorate it he'd be like definitely a sort of guy that would be like a 10 plus dollar hitter in like a 12 team league like he's been good good um and it's taken a second but he's kind of gotten there um we are right now in the time of the season where the guys who've been up for a while we can start to like think about whether or not like they've have made some adjustments and aren't going to just get immediately figured out. You know, um, I think Adoles Garcia last year was starting to come off as his initial hot streak and was starting to look quite vulnerable by about this point. Now, he's had a great second year, but it took him a bit. Right. So if we're looking at a guy like Torkelson, I definitely want to kind of t- call attention to the same sorts of things that we saw last year for Andrew Vaughn, um, where you start off in a rough place and you want to see how things change, how you yourself adapt over time. Yeah. I've been I, checking I, in I, on Torkelson quite a bit, you know? Yeah. I think, um, I think a good way to think about this in terms of fantasy and it, it, we don't have to think about this only in terms of fantasy, but mm-hmm. is like, who are the buys right now? Um, 
who are the these names that people might be soured on because they haven't come up and been really, really good that you're probably not going to get for free, right? Because people invested in them and want them to be good and are going to be frustrated with the fact that they're not good. They're not going to want to just give them away, but maybe you get them for 90 cents on the dollar and, and uh, you know, that's worth doing. Uh, that's an interesting way I think of looking at this. And I just want to, I want to, I don't know. I, the you telling that story about Alec Thomas coming up and the pitchers creating weaknesses. I I don't think we spend enough time talking about, just how much we're asking of 19, 20, 21 year old human beings who are exceptional at what they do because they've probably mm-hmm. always been the best of the people that they've played with, whether that was when they were on their 13 year old, uh, you know, American Legion teams or, or mm-hmm. little league teams, whether that was their high school team, even their college teams. Right. Um, the they've been the best they've devoted themselves to being the best they have done the same thing and built their skill set up to a point way beyond what other human beings could ever hope to do then Mm -hmm. they get to the major leagues and have to figure it out all over again they have Mm -hmm. to change what's worked for them for their entire 20 years (laughs) and they have to change it they have to figure out how to get good at something they didn't even know they had to be good at uh, after having been the best of the best at this thing that they do their whole lives. That is not easy. It's just not an easy thing physically, mentally, emotionally. And, and you're asking it of kids who are not fully matured, whose brains mm-hmm. are not fully developed. <laughs> it's, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. We, we, it's very easy for us to think about these, in, uh, these situations in terms of statistics and performance and swing and miss data and all of that. We forget to talk about how it's a, it's, it's a 20-year-old. It's a 20-year-old kid who can't legally buy alcohol that is supposed to go onto this main stage and just be amazing and awesome. So. Um, I think in terms of thinking about buying low, what's the more likely outcome? That the 20-year-old who's been amazing at this and scouts have been uh, drooling over for years figures it out or that everybody was wrong? Right, right, right. Eventually, it's it's way more likely that they're going to figure it out. Maybe they're not going to be the next Mike Trout that everybody was talking about but they, they don't have to be to have value and be meaningful contributors to your fantasy squad. I feel like that's a hard pill to swallow conceptually. Um, and I really wonder about how they conceptualize of that. Um, I don't, I mean, like, I don't know how you just choose to like make the like really small incremental choices whenever you're probably faced with, it feels like, like a monumental and crushing defeat pretty much every day, if not every other day in some of these cases, like, and it's those sorts of choices I feel like that I'm looking for if I want to like tr- see if there's anything that they're doing differently. Um, you know, like a nice thing to do, like I'm going to pull up like a fan graphs rolling chart here for Torkelson. And I want to click a lot of like the different choice adjacent stats and then maybe a couple other ones that might be mechanical adjacent stats to see if there are things that are being tweaked with. Now I imagine like something like swinging strike rate is both a uh, a product of like, what you're swinging at, how you're swinging at it, and what you're being offered, right? Uh, but like, 
out like o swing chase rate sort of stuff like that that's a lot going to be just influenced by your choices are you being more disciplined i remember at the very beginning of the year uh torkelson was kind of notoriously just not chasing a whole lot trying to get walks and kind of suffering at times because of that so that's something that i, I wanted to know how he would adjust um and so you know that's, that's what it is his, his o-swing rate by the way has gone up as the year's gone gone down he was sitting about 20 to start the year and it's gone up at peak to about 35 three percent kind of leveled off more in the high 20s now so he is trying to be more aggressive as a guy who probably should have some power uh no mind you is trying to hit the ball at all a good idea if you're in detroit maybe not park's too big you know maybe you should just walk no matter what but <laughs> it's a separate concept sure right? yeah <laughs> i've also wanted to check in though it's like what's happened to a singing strike rate well he had that number go up but as he's continued to swing it's kind of gone back down, which shows up to a degree, I think, in his like zone contact rate kind of coming back up from like an er- like a middle of like the so far season kind of like dipping as he started to swing more. Uh, so I think in general, you're seeing someone who's getting used to the profile of what's being like offered to him and how he needs yeah. to go after it. Adapting what into what he needs yeah. to be to survive in, in this climate and then the skills will follow. I mean, if you're if he's good and talented which we know he is mm-hmm. that should follow there there are, are it's very unlikely that that these are going to be the next uh heroes right that that doesn't happen <laughs> no, absolutely that not yeah. that that's a super outlier case um and so you know i don't know if you're thinking that torkelson is going to be bad at baseball you're probably wrong um, is he going to be good enough right now to help your team? And if you've invested in him, are you allowed to be a little frustrated? Sure. Totally. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that Torkelson is you write him off. Just uh, whatever. It's right. Just right. Silly. Yeah. And that's, and that definitely shows up in, you know, his stri- strikeout rate has like gone from considerably above average for his first 35 games to pretty comfortably below average for his next 35 ish games. Right. He's been, basically since like you know like for the past month been a 20 percent strikeout rate guy that's that'll play like that straight up is just pretty sure good if you're yeah, someone figure like him out how to how to <laughs> manage your swing and miss and then we'll worry about when you make contact making sure it's hard contact it it makes perfect sense to me that this is like the progression that a team or a hitting coach would be taking somebody through to adapt to their new environment Okay, well, this is where we're seeing the big problem area. Let's work on that. Okay, now we've we've reduced that down to a a place where we're comfortable. Now let's work on the next thing. All right, that has made more sense. You're you know you're doing a better job of identifying pitches as they come in. Right now let's work on making solid contact because you're better able to identify the pitch and, and put a solid swing on it. But if you try and do all those things at once, you're still gonna you're just you're gonna overwhelm yourself and be mired in that that struggle you know it's exactly like that when you look at his and this isn't something that i normally cite but hey i'm on fan graphs i have some rolling charts i may as well use it <laughs> they're hard percent not which is not like the same as like the exit yeah. velocity based always, hit percent it's something funny. i yeah it's not something i typically cite but like if you over that lay that with his strikeout rate he was seeing his like hard percent drop off as his strikeouts dropped off he seemed like he was to a degree willing to choke up or something like that and of late, he's been hitting the ball harder. 
Um, now he's been grounding out a lot, which is a kind of concerning thing. You typically do with a flatter swing path, make more contact, but less desirable contact. So, you know, that was a we problem. We also saw that, we... that be a problem for Vladdy and Bohm, and they've been able to kind of. Exactly. Well, certainly. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's so again, I think that's the steps. I, I know you hate talking about golf, um, but it, when you look at like a golf swing, those are the things, I don't know what pros are doing this, but those are the, the things that you do. Okay. Like let's, let's fix your grip because that's part of the reason you're slicing the ball all the time. And it's going to feel weird and you're going to hit the ball bad for a while until you get used to that grip. Okay. Well, now that you've fixed the grip, you're getting on top of the ball too much. So we're mm-hmm. going to change something else. You, you can't do it all at once. If you try and focus on 10 things at one time in your swing, whether it's a stationary golf ball on a tee in front of you or a pitch coming in at 92 that's darting and dancing all over the place, you can't be thinking about 10 things at once. Even thinking about one thing can be uh, a distraction and and you have to focus on that one thing until it becomes muscle memory and then you don't have to think about it anymore. It makes perfect sense to me that this is a learning process for him and we're actually watching the evolution of a hitter at the major league level. Uh, unfold before our eyes. Again, that's frustrating if you want him to be performing for your fantasy team, but I think it's encouraging that he's responding to the teaching is what it looks like at least. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I decided to like take myself to a different site and take a look at what his rolling hard hit rate has been. And, and you know, it was at the beginning of the year when he was barely making contact for the first 50 PA or so he was sitting in like the 50 and then 45 rate, which is like good, but like absolutely necessary to be at that point. If you're not doing much else and strike out. And then he started striking out less and the hard hit rate goes down to like significantly below average. We're talking like a 50 PA stretch where it's in the twenties. That is really bad. Um, mm. So either way, like the car, the hard contact rate was probably for both of these different combinations of things. Not good. His harder hit rate starting to climb back up. And, you know, I'm sure right now, if he's been for the past 50 PAs, let's call it a like 35 percent hard hit rate guy with a 20 percent strikeout rate and a 10 percent walk rate. So that means he's putting the ball in place 70 percent of the time. And of that 70 percent, you know, like a third of that is hard contact. That's still like 24 or so percent, which is not great, like 23 or so. Um but you add on an above average walk rate and you have someone who has a shot at being on base just a little bit less in league average. And then you add the Detroit of it all and it goes down. But like we're but he's seeing progress done made, that in, and that's good. And he's done it in less than half a season. Right, right, right. right. So we, we saw VAR make this transformation last year. Yeah, right. Hard hit rate comes up a few more percentage points and some more of those are line drives instead of ground balls. And all of a sudden you're talking about a completely different player in terms of his contribution and his offensive output. So um, I, I, it sounds to me at least like we're, we're both kind of making the case for if somebody's willing to sell torque to you for 80, 90 cents on the dollar, you should do that. Yeah, yeah. This is not someone and, and who's I'm dynasty do, going not, dynasty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't know actually where you would even want to try to acquire someone like this in redraft. Because well, that's why know. I'm making that very clear. I it was it, hopefully mm. it was clear that we, that's what we we're kind oh, of yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about. But if not, I wanted to make sure I said it out loud. All right, I'm going to ask you uh, um, one more question. It's a two parter. Um, it's mm-hmm. along the same lines, and I am putting you a little bit on the spot. But this will be what takes us to the end of the show. Um, what would be maybe another buy low 
and maybe a sell high uh, because there's some hype on a performance that you don't believe in as much from a rookie. Okay. If we're, I'm going to like, you could do that in whichever order you'd like. I'm going to try to gauge what you might even be interested in this uh, as best I can. But I, I feel like my, my mental like understanding of what a good rookie player is, is sometimes distorted. Um, I, I feel like you have to like fully cross off people like, um, like Bobby Wood Jr. Like Julio Rodriguez in terms of buying um, because who's going to sell them to you? <laughs> yeah right, right 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 no I'm, right. like earlier in the year we were talking about Quan right as mm-hmm. as like a very clear sell high if there's somebody who is going to want him because of the way he was playing um more along those lines somebody that maybe is doing something that's a little unsustainable or at least unlikely or a name that that we haven't heard of so maybe it's just some luck in a short sample size anything it doesn't have to be you know, we're not going to come back in, in six months and, and decide whether or not you, uh, you know, you live or die based on your prediction here. That would be extreme. Yeah, I feel like the he's probably performing better than people and the market is kind of giving him credit for guys. Probably Alec Thomas. If I'm going to try to go acquire a rookie this year, I don't think he's got the sort of like word of mouth excellence. And like, you know, if you picked him up and redraft, you're probably willing to part with him. I figure he gets better. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a name that comes to mind. Like, uh, Christopher Morrell has gotten, I feel like a whole lot more attention because he's got more steals, but he's striking out 20% of the time. Alec Thomas is striking out less than 20% of the time with a walk rate. That's about league average. Um, that's leading to a three thirty six OBP through this year or through the two today. And I think that can go up. Like that's a guy who's going to get himself good op- opportunities. And I don't think Arizona's bad, bad, bad. That's going to hurt him as much. So that's a guy that I'm pretty interested in conceptually. Uh, it's also just like fun. <laughs> I like yeah. that. Um, I, I feel like a similar sort of maybe the hype hasn't been just like high enough. Sort of guys, MJ Melendez, but I could be wrong on that. Maybe people do evaluate him correctly. Uh, Cause again, I always think that you should get people who are catcher eligible. And you know, if for some <laughs> reason the guy who has him doesn't understand what a gem he has in that, you know, go, go, go make the market uh, make sense. Um, in terms of people who I'd want to sell high on, I, I'm not sure. Um, I feel like, I feel like I should still be somewhat scared um, by Nolan Gorman's 32% strikeout rate. Like I should, like his batting average and his OBP shouldn't be this sustainable. Um, and I think there are a couple different mildly red flags. He's been playing pretty well, but I'm worried that some things could end up not continuing as well as they have been. Um, that's, that's a fear I have on that part that there's, um, there's a lot of room for a bad, bad month here. Um, especially given just the number of bodies in St. Louis they have and the capacity for, you know, some playing time to get stretched in a funny way. So that's a thing I'm kind of concerned about. That said, I do think he's good and he can probably survive that high strikeout rate to a degree because what he's doing to baseballs when they are, you know, hit. Yeah. If he's hitting the ball, like, Actually, right now, about sixty percent of the time, he's uh, he's putting the ball in play. Like, that's enough at some point. Sure, and again, to to the point we were just making, something that can be improved upon um, when you're talking about somebody this young and uh, the sample size is 
it's large enough for us to be able to have a conversation, but it's certainly uh, small compared to a career. <laughs> so right, he's got a um, hundred PA so far. Yeah, um, we have to we have to be really really careful about labeling people uh, at this stage of their career one way or the other. I think and just like putting a stamp on them and writing them off or. Um, just being so in love with them that there's no chance at all that they could come back to earth. Um, any other players that you want to mention quick before we, uh, we, uh, have to go. Yeah. I mean, we haven't talked about Adley, which is kind of criminal. Uh, he actually mm. also only has a hundred PA and he strike out under 20% of the time. The power should be there. It's bad. It's been bad. I, I, I think that's the sort of guy that like, especially in redraft, if if you have the capacity to like we're talking like deep one catcher redraft or shallow two catcher redraft he's the sort of guy that i'd be really interested in acquiring or you know looking into in some sort of ways i, I that, that that profile makes sense um i'm also just like fully ignoring by the way cj rooms is a quantity for buying and selling um because he just got called up and i don't really know his strikeout rate's been really you know good i the steals weren't there in his 72 PAs that he's had so far. I feel like that has to change. Um, but I'm kind of curious there. So there's just some people I'm kind of watching in this sort of, I want to see how it pans out for the rest of the season. And I'm not placing any chips in any direction just yet sort of way. Well, that all sounds pretty reasonable to me. Um, and that is going to bring us to the end of our episode. Alexander, thanks once again for joining me. And if you could remind the people where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the corked mat. I'm on Twitter at chase underscore rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at dugout study hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.